Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 18, Party On Garth. Let's get this show on the road. The title of this episode brings me so much joy, and I just feel like I need to do a little air guitar sting after every time I hear it said. Oh my god, so did you grow up with Wayne's World? I grew up with, like, the movie Wayne's World. Like, that was, my dad watched it so often. Now, interesting fact is that he watched, not only did he watch it, but he watched the French dub of it. So I know Wayne's World inside and out in French. So, like, all of my references, I only know in French. So, like, my sister and I will often quote from Wayne's World, but in French. I had a very similar experience growing up with, and I know like they're tangentially related in some weird way is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where it's like I knew so much of it, but never watched the whole thing until like, finally, I just sat down and said, screw it, I'm watching the whole thing. So I think I got to do that with Wayne's World finally. It's just like, stop being like, I know a collection of bits. I need to watch the whole thing. You absolutely do. Like, it's one of those that you need to watch and you'll understand also a lot of different references that you've seen and you'll be like, oh, it's from there. I fully chalk it up as one of those, like, I guarantee you every three scenes I'm going to go like, that Simpsons joke makes sense now. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Well, what a great episode to bring Garth back. What a way to take a character who had such a small part. And like, while he isn't per se the main character this week, we develop his character so much and he becomes so much more than he was before. It's almost like I wanted him to be more in the spotlight than he was, but I understand that if you give him too much spotlight, it might hurt him a little bit. Like, he works better as, like, a secondary character where you're always like, huh? If we're keeping in with Wayne's world, like, it's kind of like, this feels like Garth's world, you know? Like, it's his own TV show for a little bit. And that's how it feels, especially in the in the intro, right? At the very beginning, like, that's that's what it is. It's his world. It's his show. It's his hunting it's like all about garth and then all of a sudden he has to call the winchesters to to help it's that kind of thing where it's like i say that i'd love a full like episode of garth like a full-on garth episode and i'm sure like one episode could be done really well but i feel like if they gave him too much rope it would not be as charming as he is like they would he would lose his charm eventually if they gave him too much screen time Mm, interesting I want Garth to always have a layer of mystery where we never get the full picture. (laughs) Yes. If you try to like overanalyze him or like put him too much in the spotlight, you ruin part of his appeal. Not like out of the box. I don't think he would be bad day one, but like, like season two of the Garth only show, you might be hitting a point where they have to start digging into like, like artificial problems and like ruin him a little bit. No, 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 definitely. But I would love to see like a full Garth episode. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I think you could probably do it really well the same way they did the um, the Ghost Facers where it's like, it's it's an episode of Supernatural, but like all from Garth's point of view kind of thing. Exactly. Like that could be really fun. <laughs> you know, in my mind, that's like a previous version of this episode exists in that way. You know, they were, they were like, Maybe this is going to be from Garth's perspective. And then whatever, they couldn't quite fit in the whole Bobby thing, so they didn't. But like, that's, I feel like in the, in the brainstorming, that's definitely an idea that showed up. 
some of the way the episode is shot, like there's moments where like you leave Garth and go to the brothers and it's like, oh, but I want the Garth part of this episode. I know. I love him so much. Release the Garth cut. (laughs) (laughs) Screw Snyder. I want the Garth cut. (laughs) How about you give us the Drew cut of this particular episode? (laughs) Yes. All right. Three, two, one, go. Uh, we start with Garth being a hunter on his own, dealing with the case. We see his kind of mannerisms, how he does things, and he's just as charming as always. But unfortunately, the case he's on seems to get a little weirder than he thinks it is. So he calls in some experts and his best friend, Dean, because he said Dean's his best friend and no one can stop that. Sam and Dean show up. We don't really touch on Sam's, you know, suddenly being out of, you know, like crazy town, as he put it. Uh, we'll leave that for later. We get on this case. It seems that this demon is invisible, but it turns out you can see it when you're drunk. And it's uh, from a Japanese shoujo spirit, which is actually surprisingly accurate lore with them, which is really good for once. This thing is being sent after this one particular family for crossing somebody. Uh, They have to get drunk to fight it. And the whole time, there's kind of this underlying argument of maybe Ghost Bobby is still there. And at the very end of the episode, after they defeat the demon and Garth is a hero and gets to walk away triumphant. And they do end up saving, I think, one person out of the family in the end, the unknown son. We get a reveal that Ghost Bobby is there the whole time. Balls time. Balls indeed. This episode was written by Adam Glass, directed by Phil Scriccia, and it originally aired on March 30th, 2012. So we are back on a weekly schedule as opposed to like whatever was going on before where it was like almost like one episode a month for three months. So like we said, Garth is back and as confident as ever. And I have to say like this is, you know, like this works for him where he's like, wait, one at a time, you. <laughs> like, I love that. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> it rides a really good line. So again, like, I think, as I said earlier, there's always the fear of, like, if you, like, if you give too much Garth lore, you might damage him. Like, he kind of lives a little bit in the mysterious. So this little bit of, like, oh, there's a part of Garth that is competent and knows what he's doing and can take control of a scene. It's not like it becomes his character trait, but we see that he has the capacity for it. It's interesting and it makes, it fleshes him out as a character without making him a two-dimensional joke. Yeah, definitely. Certainly. Like, honestly, this was a really cool, like, way of, uh, uh, like you said, of, of giving him a little bit of depth. Yeah. We finally meet Mr. Fizzles. We'd been really excited for you to meet him and you finally have, you know, you finally got your sock puppet. <sighs> I'll be honest. I think I had, like, somehow misconstrued where the sock puppet was going to come from. And, like, somehow in my head, it was very much a Dean and Sock Puppet interaction. And, like, yes, ultimately, that's what we get. It's Dean with Garth interviewing this little girl. And he pulls up the puppet to, like, connect with her. Which, again, brilliant, like, Garth move of, like, let me connect with people in a way that works with them and myself that Sam and Dean would never think of. Like, I'm trying to think, have we ever seen Sam and Dean, like, interview or try to, like, get information out of a literal child before? Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean does that really well. Uh, Sam a little bit less. But I feel like this is a very different direction. That's like less of the like, Dean is more of the like, bring the kid up to his level versus Garth, who is let me get down on their level kind of thing, which I think is a very adorable thing. But also, yes, love this puppet. I will admit I did quickly Google it to see if he returns in future episodes. And to my knowledge, he does not. So I'm really bummed about that. But he will live in my mind forever as one of the best characters on the show. And in our hearts. And in my heart as well. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in story time, but I do want to mention it in the long game because, you know, well, you know. Sam asks Dean if he can even get drunk anymore. And, you know, I think that here we're really talking about how much Dean has been drinking lately. 
I have a lot of thoughts come story time about Dean's drinking and also Sam's calling him out on it. And I gotta say, for a show that can be very critical in a lot of ways and combative, this was handled very nicely, I think. The last thing in the long game, uh, really this week, I think, is that Bobby is back. Ghost Bobby, actually, is a thing. (laughs) Yes. So there's a lot to talk about in this too, uh, about how like they're handling it individually, but also together. To break out a little bit, uh, I kind of teased last week's recording that I knew Bobby was coming because I'd already seen this episode. I didn't expect this. I'll be very honest. I felt like we were going to get some hints at it and we would maybe discuss the possibility of a spirit being around and helping them a little bit. And I even hit a point where I thought it was going to be like very like, never like really revealed like oh there's those moments of like maybe ghost bobby's there but let's just leave it up to like fan interpretation or like let the mystery linger i did not expect bobby physically as an actor showing up to reprise his role in ghost form balls (laughs) like i knew it was either gonna be balls or idiots one of the two oh he did i think he did say idiots i think he does also yes or i think i said it when he showed up And like, again, like, I am not convinced this is going to be a permanent role for him throughout the series. I think this might just be like a rest of this season thing. Like, I'm not getting my hopes up. I I would love him to remain Ghost Bobby for the rest of the series till the very end, but I am doubtful. Well, so we do know what ends up happening to ghosts in the long run, right? So like, this is part of the lore that's been built and Supernatural has been trying to at least get back to its roots and the lore that it has already established. So I'm just going to lay this foundation for you, right? That's all. That's all. I don't think I thought about it. And now that I'm thinking about it, I I hope this is his only episode. He never comes back. (laughs) You're like, I never want to see him again. (laughs) I only want to keep good memories. It's like every time we see him, it's one step closer to him becoming a bad guy and I'm having to deal with it. I don't want that to happen. (laughs) Quote unquote, deal with it. Yeah. This week, our theme is connection. Now, the word connection comes from the word connect, which has a Latin root meaning to tie or to bind together. And I really like this theme for this episode because I think it explores the interpersonal stuff, but also the drinking stuff. Like, there's two main stuffs that are happening in this episode and it's like the relationships and the drinking and so like there's a lot going on really underneath the appearance of like a silly goofy little funny drinking episode this is the second time this season we've gotten a like somewhat silly episode with like really good undertones Mm -hmm. when the show does it it does it well It did it amazingly in previous seasons as well, right? Like, this isn't something that's new. It's really, like, it's one of the staples, I think, of this show. Like, season six is filled with these kinds of episodes as well. I'm thinking most recently when Sam dealt with the clowns and, uh, Lord knows I remember the name of the episode, Mr. Silly Putty's House of Silly Putties. (laughs) Plucky Penny Whistle's Magic Menagerie. That one. That episode, again, was so comedic and fun and silly, but did so much to develop the characters and give us so much. I'm trying to continue my thought as I'm watching Mary just die in front of me. (laughs) So if you allow me to start with Dean, because I think that Dean probably has like the most 
stuffs that happens to be in connection to connection this week. He has a really challenging relationship with connection in this episode, I find. Um, Then again, when is Dean's relationship with anyone or anything not complicated, one could ask. I would really like to start with his relationship with Garth, because that in itself is pretty complicated for him. Because like on the surface, it really seems like he finds Garth a little bit silly and maybe even a little bit cringy. And I think that that's because Garth refuses to conform to a lot of expectations, and Dean just doesn't know how to deal with that. But anyway, he still goes out to help him when he calls for help. So like, I would like us to remember that the brothers are in a really precarious situation with the Leviathans right now. And we saw that in like Out With The Old, that they could be literally anywhere, right? So for all they know, Garth could be a Leviathan, but Dean doesn't even hesitate when he calls and he just like goes to help. And I think that that shows Dean's desire for connecting with Garth on some level. We really haven't seen Dean connect with someone or something outside of Cass and a good burger. So I have to admit, I had not really considered the possibility of Leviathan Garth, and that's horrifying now. But I also feel like he's too pure to like ever even like have a fake bad storyline. Like I don't think I could ever take him as like, Oh, you're not evil, even if something was posing as Garth. Right, yeah. But like to to your point, Garth lives by his own vision of the world, and in that world, Dean is his buddy, and it's just a fact. So even when Dean is not sure of Garth, doesn't you know, Garth doesn't take it as an issue and just barrels on through. And I think this also is part of how Dean came to be so close to Cass, because Cass also had somewhat of a skewed vision of the world and his place in it, and it was that that broke down Dean's barriers and led them to being so close. I actually love that because what you're telling me is that like Dean is kind of like a cat. If you act <laughs> like he's your friend and you're just like, you know what? You're my buddy. Eventually he's just going to be like, Ugh, fine, whatever. <laughs> They're all basically, I just find that Garth is like manifesting this friendship or this relationship with Dean, right? Where he's like, Oh no, no, I'm acting like we're buddies. Therefore we are buddies or like we are buddies because I'm acting like it. And it doesn't really matter like what you think about this. Like we are buddies. I'm informing you of this. There's also a little bit of dialogue at the very beginning of the episode that lets us know that like Meg is keeping the brothers informed of how Cass is doing at the psychiatric facility. Dean goes like, oh, thanks, Meg. Like, you know, trying to be nice. And then immediately after he hangs up, he goes like, what a bitch. (laughs) And honestly, I really felt that because it really speaks to like the things that we have to do in order to foster some of our connections. Like right now, my grandma isn't doing so well and I have to rely on some family members to keep me informed. And sometimes I'll just be on the phone like, "Okay, thank you so much. And then just go like, oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Like, Sometimes there's a price to pay to stay connected with others. And Dean, Dean like is feeling that this week with the Cass and Meg situation. I sort of love how Dean's only connections aside from Sam are these very like fish out of water connections. Like Meg, the demon who's playing a nurse to his suddenly alive again and Lucifer plagued lover. Uh, that lover being an angel who acted against God to save Dean and is just like so daft when it comes to human social behaviors. And now Garth, the most fish-out-of-water man that's ever been. Uh, And it really makes sense because Dean is very much a fish trying to act like he was meant to be on land right here with no issues at all. And we've discussed multiple times Dean's masking his own identity to fit in with others. 
but he finds himself amongst other air quote outcasts and he connects to them. Oh boy, oh boy. Okay, so you're touching on something that is at the heart of bisexual, what we call like bisexual uh, coding or queer coding for bisexuality. At the heart of this kind of like quote unquote character coding is basically showing somebody who is in between worlds. And that's really what Houdin is. He's not quite in the like normal civilian human world, but he's also not quite in the monster world either. So he lives like at the margin and like at the at the margins actually of both of these worlds, not quite belonging to one, not quite belonging to the other and not quite fitting in either way, no matter what he does. And so I just, I don't know, I had to mention that. When I had this realization, like, it was one of those things where it's like, as I was writing this, I was like, wait, and then it connects to Cass. Wait, the Garth is part of that. And then, like, but this is how we've been describing Dean for, like, seven seasons now. Wow, what a beautiful little, like, mesh we've put together. There's also him looking for Bobby, and whether that's, like, consciously or unconsciously, or even whether it's, like, his hunter instinct that comes through, or his quote-unquote regular humanity, like his connection to Bobby, his desire to keep that connection alive, too. Like, it's driving him to look for him, really. And he lists, like, all of the things at the beginning, like, that we've been keeping track of in the long game over the last few weeks, like the disappearing beer, the business card, the journal, and now the sword. Like, Arguably, this is a callback to Death's Door. It's actually Bobby's desire for connection that's keeping him on this earth. But I think that that's a conversation for a future episode. So on the Bobby thing, I had a really weird, like, inspiration moment, like, thinking about it. And it seems even Dean doesn't know. Like, he seems to excuse his keeping the flask as an heirloom of Bobby, yet he's clearly drinking way more. And... Then when the flask is missing a few weeks ago uh, with the um, the Amazon episode we hated, like he goes like to extreme lengths to get it back because clearly it's important to him. Dean's connection to Bobby and his dependence on booze are so intertwined that they each feed into the other one. And I believe in the case of him looking for Bobby's ghost, it's sort of the same type of thing. He knows it's a possibility because he's a hunter, which gives him hope, but he just disproves himself until he doubts it again, and then it sort of goes in this continuous cycle of, like, I'm being hopeful for it, just because I'm a hunter doesn't mean that the person I want to be there as a ghost is there. And then something tips him off, and then he goes, maybe I was wrong, and does the whole loop over again. And it feels like the connection, but he can't discern if it's the connection to Bobby as a ghost, or the connection to Bobby as a memory. And I think it really ties in really well with what you were saying before about about Dean belonging to two different worlds, Right? Uh, like in this case, like through which lens is he supposed to understand what the situation is? He supposed to understand it as like, this is a ghost because like we live in a world where there's monsters and I'm a hunter. Or is he supposed to understand it as like, I just fucking miss my dad, which is like the normal human reaction to grief. And so he's again, not knowing really where he fits in. And to even loop all that back together, he had basically come to terms with the fact that his lover was gone and boom, he shows up on his lover's doorstep by accident. Like he is literally at a point now where he is like 
even if he had fully accepted, you're right, Sam's right, we did the testing, there's clearly no ghost Bobby, uh, the same way there's no Cass, and then Cass just, like, walked into him, like, hi, how are you, I'm your dead ex. So, like, yeah, maybe he's back to the, okay, maybe I'm wrong, maybe there is a ghost Bobby, who knows, I'm lost. The last thought that I have about Dean this week is about his drinking. And we've talked at length about that. Uh, And this episode even calls it out, like we talked about earlier with Sam saying, like, can you even get drunk anymore? So, like, no matter what our thoughts are on the matter, like, clearly Sam feels like Dean's alcohol consumption is important. Sam is also quite hungover the next morning, and Dean seems much more functional. Like, again, hinting that he's much more used to waking up hungover than Sam. What I find most interesting... Uh, about this episode is that in order to connect with the monster of the week, so to speak, they have to drink alcohol. So like alcohol is the key to connection. And that's like a huge contrast to how Dean actually uses alcohol, which is to disconnect from his feelings and from his own feelings and from himself, basically. I gotta say the idea that like drinking is a way to disassociate from things, but in this case had to be used as a way to associate with things, literal opposites here. Uh, is, like, the coolest, like, narrative use for his drinking, and I am in love with it. And as I said, my minor fan fandom of Japanese spirits and yokai, knowing the shoujo is, like, legitimately a thing, and this is the legend behind it, is, like, what beautiful use of it. But I love seeing how, and this is a Sam point, but how Sam can breach the subject in a way that isn't offensive to Dean. Like, I don't feel like, as much as Sam was pointing it out, It was never in, like, a confrontational way, but in the way of, like, I'm noticing this about you. I just want you to know I'm aware and you're not hiding it from me and I'm here when you're ready. It's almost a backhanded compliment. And then, ironically, when it comes to the hangover thing, becomes a compliment. Uh, And I just, I found it to be a very charming way to handle the situation where it's addressed to the audience, it's addressed within the character universe, and... It like just it brings it to the surface without making it like a focal point today. It, it's planting the seed for a future conversation. Another like great point of like non-Garthiness in this episode that like, this episode can be good even without Garth. Mm. So if we move on to Sam, I sort of want to put into context the fact that Sam just put the whole Lucifer in his head thing behind him, and we remember that it got pretty dicey. For a while, uh, he came pretty close to dying. So I think it's important to remember that Sam is probably still carrying a lot of that in himself this episode. Because when I rewatched it, I just couldn't help but notice all the times that he rejects or outright refuses connection. I'm going to be pretty understanding. Like, it's a bit hard to connect with folks when you've had someone as vile as Lucifer living in your head actively, disguising himself as people around you, i.e. the doctor in the uh, in, when he was in the asylum or the hospital. Uh, And I do agree. It's weird how quickly Sam seems to have just sort of like moved on. I might blame this on the writing a little bit, unless it becomes more relevant later, in which case I want more info. But like speaking of today's episode and Sam's lack of making connections, I'm sure he still got some fear from all of his past, you know, trauma. Exactly. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like the first example that comes to mind for this is again, Garth. Garth comes up a lot. Sam never got to work with Garth, right? If we remember correctly, because he got, I mean, they, they met, but they, they never really got to work together because the last time that Dean worked with him, Sam was bewitched by Becky. So this is really Sam's first introduction to Garth as a whole and not just meeting and passing, which like, 
I get it. Garth can be a lot at first. Like even Dean has to say to Sam, like he grows on you, which shows <laughs> that Garth has grown on Dean. And that Dean is also telling Sam to give a connection to Garth a chance. Like he's like, just give him a chance, you know, like he's a lot, but he grows on you kind of thing. Like, but instead of doing that, the first chance that he actually gets to spend some time with him, he sends Dean with him and he goes to interview someone else. So Sam doesn't actually listen to Dean. Like he just rejects the idea of spending more time with Garth. I get that. Like Sam is in a real defensive mode and I don't even think he realizes he's doing it. But I think he also might be relishing some alone time that he hasn't had in quite some time. Yes. Oh my God. That's such a good point. You know, just him and his thoughts. And while I love Garth, Garth is not exactly the one to give you time to hear yourself think. Uh, and I really think Sam's lack of connection is equal parts more to do with his need to have some peace and quiet and alone time. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that like it's a bad thing that he doesn't want connection, right? Like that's not at all what I'm saying. But I, I just I'm noticing, I'm naming, I'm pointing. I'm like, hey, this, this. And, and I fully agree with you. Like Garth is a lot. Right. And and that is why we love him. But Garth is a lot. Yeah. Like Garth is the person you want to be around when you need to be cheered up. Garth is the person you want to be around when you need like alone time. I, I mean, as an introvert, like as a textbook introvert, like I don't think I could take a lot of Garth a lot of the time. So like I, I feel that. I feel that. And I love him. Truly. I love him. Garth is that friend you need. Like when you realize you're like, you know what? I haven't done something fun in like a week or two. I haven't gone out. Like, I'm just going to call Garth and go get a coffee and Lord knows something will happen. And then three weeks later, you wake up in Germany uh, on stage and you're like, how did this happen? <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like a Garth. <laughs> the second example that I'm thinking of is like the big conversation between Sam and Dean about whether or not Ghost Bobby is a thing. Because he starts by admitting to Dean that like he's already tried contacting Bobby with a talking board when the beer disappeared. So like in the very, very, very first instance of like weird things are happening at the Winchesters, right? Like and even then he didn't tell Dean about it. He did that by himself, which I think in part at least explains why he's been so quick to shut down every other instance after that. And it also shows that he didn't want to connect with Dean and talk to him about that. I mean, I feel like I'm being repetitive, but I think it's just because it's the, this is doing such a good job of like reflecting on the points over and over again in the way that we want a theme to do. But it still stands to reason that like with my previous points, you know, I think it's a different aspect of the whole Lucifer in his head scenario causing some issues here and his potential connection to Bobby. Sam is still in a fragile state and he has been since this season began while he was very much holding down the mental fort he never truly was fully saved until now. And even now, after being saved, I'm sure it's not settled in yet that he's safe. And all that to say is I'm sure there's a part of him that really wanted and believed Bobby was back in spirit form. But he's shutting that down because he's been so thoroughly broken. Like the idea that like maybe everything that he had ever experienced that made him think it could have been Bobby was just Lucifer playing with him again. So anything he can't concretely see and have 100% evidence of right now he is throwing out is like, I don't want to touch that yet. I need real evidence, not hope and wishes and fear. At the end of the episode, he completely shuts down Dean when he tells him about the sword. And that's the thing. Like, instead of engaging with Dean and being like, all right, man, you know what? Like, if you think that there's something, let's check again. Let's pull out that talking board. Let's, let's give it a try. He shuts it down immediately. So he rejects that possible connection, not only with Bobby, but also with Dean. 
Sam, come on. There's literally no reason not to try. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, what's it going to waste? 30 seconds of your afternoon you were going to spend sitting around quietly anyways? Like, it'd be one thing if you were seeing it and doubting it yourself. But your brother, who you know to be a bit more pessimistic generally, is the one trying to convince you to try something. Like, the least you can do is try. And I really think I'm eating my own words here because I think we really are seeing how much Sam is not actually handling himself well post-recovery, he's still very much affected by it. Like, I feel like I wanted more of that this episode and I didn't get it. And now I'm like, just like analyzing it. And I'm like, oh, all of these poor decisions Sam has made and all of these lack of connections Sam has made are all tied to the root of, I was just living with Lucifer in my head for a year and a half. Ask me anything. But I feel like that's the whole point, right? Like, Sam often looks like he's doing fine. Like, when Dean's not doing well, like, we know, right? Like, he tries to keep a mask on, but he just can't. Like, the way that he exteriorizes his emotions or the way that he expresses them are just, like, it's just so visible to other people. Whereas for Sam, like, Sam, I mean, we've had that voicemail, right, from Nell about, like, exteriorizing versus internalizing behaviors, and I really feel like we're seeing it right now, where, like, Sam has completely interiorized this, and he's, like, not letting people know that he's not fine, but really we're seeing it in those moments where it's like, wow, Sam, like, you are completely isolating yourself right now. I Like, I, this is something that I had never noticed before in this in this season. And I think that it explains so much of the beginning of season eight for me. So like, I think that this is like a link that I had never made that I'm so happy that we talked about today. Yay. I'm happy we're getting those. Do you have any thoughts about Garth? I just find that like his way of using Mr. Fizzles to connect to the little girl was just so brilliant and it worked, right? Like no matter how silly it might have looked to Dean like it worked and I think that 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 matters right like just the fact that again Garth doesn't conform to to ideas to preconceived ideas and yet he still gets the results that people who do get and he gets them on his own terms awesome yeah like I was reminded like when like thinking about that whole connection like I feel like there's another moment like that that's not as like obvious or funny and that's when Sam and Dean show up to the morgue and he's in his army fatigues that, like, clearly don't fit well. And he, like, doesn't give off the air of a soldier or someone in the military. Like, it really, like, I feel like if he were to walk in wearing that in most other scenarios, like, he'd be laughed off or kind of not taken seriously. But because he has clearly built this rapport with the morgue attendant before they got there, he is believed, he is, like, seen with honor. And at the end of the day, he got what he needed done. And I think that just goes to show that, like, like you said, that even though Garth is not like our typical hunter and he does things his own way and he kind of lives in his own little bubble um, to make a really weird reference. I'm rewatching 30 Rock right now. And there is an episode where there's like one of the running gags is they're seeing the world through other characters eyes. And like Kenneth sees everyone as Muppets. Um, Tracy Jordan sees everyone as himself. And, like, Alec Baldwin's character sees everything with a dollar value over its head. Like, you see, like, how they see the world. And I feel like Garth sees the world in his own very unique, I'd almost say Muppety kind of way, I feel like. That he treats it like it's reality, and it works because he's so confident. I don't know. Garth is perfect. That's the end of my talk. Garth is a beacon for connection. Like, he's just such a marshmallow. I love him.
Yeah, this is, um, I'm just going to let the recording speak for itself. He was clearly, um, heavily, um, he was drunk. He was, he was outright drunk. He wasn't wrong, but he was drunk. You can hear, this is what I had to, this was the lead to this case. I'm glad I solved it and I'm glad he's okay. Okay, okay, uh, I, the, a ghost, like, I know, I've had a few drinks, and you, you think I'm being drunk, but, like, I know you think I'm being drunk, so I'm telling you, I, I know you think I'm being drunk, because that's me being aware of it, because, like, I'm trying to, like, I'm proving to you I'm not as drunk as you think I am, like, I'm aware, I'm in the, in the moment, I know what's going on, and go, ghosts are a thing, like, I saw one. Like, I mean, I think I saw one. I mean, I saw something. I think it's a ghost. I don't know what it was, but it was a thing. And it, like, it attacked a guy in the bar. And we all ran out. And there was, like, glass everywhere, the lights. And there was just, like, this thing that was, like, moving around. Like, it wasn't being... I mean, it looked like a human, but it wasn't, like... You know, like, it, it did, like, the... You know in a horror movie when a thing, like, gets close to you really quickly... Because it like it like it like almost like it's like it's like it like you blink you open your eyes and it's closer like it did that without the blinking like it just it moved forward closer and you faster, and oh my god okay I, okay I had a few drinks okay maybe a minute okay, and then I ran here to tell you about it because you you said you know what you know ghost people things like I'm not Ghostbusters but like guys who fight ghosts and things, and so I figured I'd tell you because this thing was in the bar hurting people and I'm like. I guess that's that's what you do. So, oh my god, I need a minute. Okay. <sighs> oh god, okay. Running and drinking is a bad idea. It's a it's a bad combo. Um, okay. So, yeah, no, I I left before I saw what it did. It was just like attacking everything. Like it wasn't like after a single person. It was just like rough in general. It was like a moose in a restaurant. Like you've seen the TikToks of like when like a moose or a deer gets into like a Wendy's. And, oh, okay, so you're gonna do something about it? I can, I can, I can go use your bathroom. I don't know if it's the drinking or the the, the ghost, but I I think I need to throw up. Um, yeah, good luck. I'm gonna. Should I put salt around me? That's the thing you say to do with ghosts is salt, right? Like, I threw a salt packet at it, but it was, I was running away, but I didn't do anything, so I just, like, I'm just gonna, I, I think I'm just gonna find some salt in your kitchen and put some around the bathroom toilet with me, and maybe, maybe I'll, I'll say, yeah, I think I'm gonna, you, 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 you save, you hunt ghost, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it a night. Okay, I love you, bye. So in keeping with the theme of connection, and we sort of hinted at that when we talked about Garth just a moment ago, but I love the way that the show is using guest stars and recurring characters as a way to connect with the audience. Like I've been talking about how the show is trying to get back in the good graces of its audience. And it like in this case, 
that's me too, right? Because like I, uh, they are not in my good graces in, seven, in season seven, as we all know. So I always feel so disconnected from the first half of season seven. And then the show turns a corner and I'm like, ah, yes, I recognize this. And in this episode, like Garth is back and Bobby's back and it just brings back like it brings us back as viewers to like a time where we felt really connected to the show and with the characters and one thing that's so hard about season seven is just how isolated or disconnected the brothers are and for so so long now that changes a little bit once Cass comes back once once Meg comes back so now that you know they the the brothers are connecting back to the people that they love and who love them we also connect back to them and to the show and what i'm about to say is actually very controversial within like the wider supernatural fandom i really think that like this show is at its best uh, when the brothers are in community with others like surrounded with characters that form their fan family wait that's a controversial opinion yes absolutely oh shit because, uh, no, I, I agree with you. I really feel like, you know, I I did my best to come into season seven with, like, optimism. And I'm realizing how much I disliked it the further I get away from the beginning of it and get to these, this part of season seven that has us kind of, like, going back to the roots, as you said. And, like, it's, like, I look back at season seven being like, yeah, like, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Like, I, I got through it. And now that I'm past that, I'm able to look back and go like, oh yeah, those really, really were rough times. And here I am in a much better place. As you know, I binged uh, The X-Files. And so I like watched it all, all of it. I'm currently doing a rewatch. So You're like, done already? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, I just started season three like last night. Ah, I love it. Season three is so good. And that's the thing, like, as because I'm watching it so fast, like I'm able to tell immediately if a season is good or not. And I'm just like, oh, this season belongs in the trash. And to me, like season seven, just of Supernatural, like belongs in the trash, in my opinion. This week, we have a message from Sarah. Now, before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discuss today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what is the oddest or silliest thing you've done while inebriated for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi guys, my name is Sarah. Um, I go by any pronouns. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say I really love your show. And as uh, someone who, much like Mary, also loves Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, finding your show during a similar analysis of Supernatural has been really exciting for me. Um, but I, I was, I wanted to leave you this message because I just finished listening to episode five hundred nine, the real Ghostbusters. And I know this one came out a while ago, so apologies if this has already been talked about in an episode that I just haven't gotten to yet. But I wanted to bring up a point about Dean in this episode. Um, you talked a little bit about how he's uncomfortable to mention because he's confronted with a lot of his worst memories from the past few years. And that he's seeing the sort of, sort of quote-unquote, fake Dean persona reflected back at him in a way that's kind of unflattering. And I definitely agree with that. But I also think that it goes kind of deeper than that. Um, you've talked before about how Chuck's books go further than just recounting events as they happened. Um, that like by turning Sam and Dean's lives into a narrative 
chapter book format. Um, he's also disclosing a lot of their inner thoughts and things that they've never said aloud to each other or maybe even consciously admitted to themselves. Like when they first meet him in Fort 18 and Dean reads, he's reading like the transcript of what they're doing currently in the laundromat. Um, and he reads and Sam thinks he's being a dick. Um, so things like that, like their inner thoughts are put to words. Um, and so in this episode, I noticed that when they first arrive, Dean is kind of like confused and maybe sort of annoyed by the LARPers when they first get there, but he's not outright uncomfortable with them until they hear the agenda for the evening being read out. And it includes the panel topics, Frightened Little Boy, The Secret Life of Dean, and Homoerotic Subtext in Supernatural, both of which I think would be pretty squarely focused on him and his own internal life. Um, so I think you're definitely right that he dislikes the image of himself as being reflected back to him by the LARPers in that, like, this kind of fake macho persona that he puts on. But I think even more so, he's uncomfortable at being confronted with the fact that all of these complete strangers see his internal self and then analyze him on this same, like, dissected level that we, the real world fans, have done. And so also keeping in mind that at this point, the Supernatural book series this point in canon, the Supernatural book series ends at season three with him going to hell. And he's just heard the announcement that Chuck is going to start publishing again, presumably picking up with Cass rescuing him and their relationship developing over time and to the point where they are now. And I think the idea of people knowing too much about him or getting too close to his quote unquote real self is what's really making him upset. So, like, over the next 10 years, we'll see Dean get much more comfortable with outward expressions of himself and his sexuality, and I think it's a road that he's started to go down at this point in the series, the first step of which I think has been beginning to kind of process his trauma by acknowledging how abusive and suppressive his father and his upbringing was. Um, but I don't think he's quite there yet, and he certainly isn't ready for the whole world to know, which is where I think a lot of his discomfort in this episode is coming from. Um, also, <laughs> as the last point, I think this definitively answers the question of whether the existence of the Supernatural books implies a canon-verse version of your podcast. Um, I hope your TV land counterparts are doing well and not haunted by any ghosts, demons, or other supernatural creatures. Anyway, thank you again for such an amazing show. Sorry for such a long message. It was just something that's been kicking around in my head. Um, thanks. Bye. Sarah, thank you. That was a lovely message. Do we exist in the canon of Supernatural now, in theory? I mean, this is something that's been brought up before, where, like, people think that there is a possibility for that to happen, which, honestly, like, is looking more and more likely to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, we've manifested ourselves into canon. We've garthed ourselves into <laughs> canon. <laughs> into canon. Oh, uh, but Sarah, yeah, I love this. I feel like I feel like there's parts of this we did touch on. Like, I weirdly do not remember those um, panel titles. So I don't think I brought them up. Maybe, Mary, you remember them and you did. But I definitely think something I touched on, if not in that episode, at some point around it. And I, I will kind of reface now if I haven't said it out loud properly. I think there was a level of Dean seeing people do what he does, which is put on this persona for other people to see him as. And then seeing that reflected back at him. So it's not just a matter of people imitating him. It's that he 
puts on this persona, he masks himself with this masculine macho persona that he's then seeing people who are not every single one of them, but I'm sure a lot of them are not that masculine and like macho and real their day-to-day life put on this cosplay of him. So it's almost like making him realize how much he's doing it. It's like, it's, it's literally putting up the mirror to himself and having him ask the question of like, how much of this is you cosplaying Dean versus the Dean that none of us get to know. And I think that's really like where it starts to trouble him, especially when he realizes that they also are in on this and they understand because they've read the book. So even if they they don't attend these panels, it's within common knowledge within their community that the Dean that they idolize that they're cosplaying as is the Dean that he truly is. As in they understand his inner thinkings while portraying this character on the outside. Yeah, Sarah, thank you so much for this message because you're, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that you could like synthesize that by saying like the ordeal of being known, right? And so most of us have to deal with that on a more, I guess, interpersonal level, like on, a, on almost like a one-on-one level where like, oh my God, this person was able to really read me really well. But in the case of Dean, like you said, like this is an entire room full of people who know his deepest, darkest secrets because it's also written like in an uh, omnipotent like uh, narrator uh, in these books. And so it's... Uh, I mean, the absolute, like, horrifying, mortifying moments that I would have if people were able to read me as well as that would be, I think, like, a lot less graceful than what how Dean acts in the real Ghostbusters. So I, I I also think that, like, this explains so much with regards to, like, how he reacts after hearing those uh those those names and especially about how he reacts like when chuck is like oh i want to write more and he's like wait a second like i don't want people to know about like how i feel about cast like this is complicated for me you know so like i i i think that this explains a lot about his refusal to to let Chuck write some more. And also just like very briefly, like the canonverse version of, of Carrying Wayward, like the more I think about it, the more I love the idea. And I love this idea that like there is like this um, podcast community that studies like the supernatural books and like we talk about Dean and then one day Sam is listening to it like in the Impala and then it's us or maybe Monster of the Week or maybe another Supernatural podcast. I don't know, but I really love that idea. <laughs> and you know, it's the kind of thing where Sam would be like listening to it. Dean gets in the car and he's like, Russell's like, turn it off. It's like, what was that? It's like nothing. And then he looks at like the phone and it's like carrying wayward. And it's like an episode specifically about like discussing Dwe- Dean's hidden queerness. And it's like, He's actually listening to the panel on the men who would be king. <laughs> and like for Sam, it's totally like, I just want to like be able to support you more as a brother who loves you and like wants you to be able to come out and talk to me. I love that. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Sarah. This was amazing. Jerry, can you tell me about your reflection and call to action? Let's be super blunt. It has been a pretty eh start to the year for me. And I am finding some days harder than others to like be motivated to do things. So I'm looking to Garth this week to be reminded that like 
he loves life and he enjoys what he does. And like, sure, we only see Garth very limited. I'm sure he's a person who contains multitudes and he's not Garth every day. Some days he has emotions that are not the Garth ones we see. But I'm reminded to be a little bit more like Garth and do things that I love. Be awesome. Be my true self. And I too, Garth, shall party on. I love that. And you, Mary, what thoughts and reflections do you have for this week? I mean, when I reflected on Sam's story in this episode, like I sort of realized that I'm also guilty of rejecting connection quite often. And there's nothing wrong with that in itself. Like we talked about it earlier, like it's okay for me to be selective in who I connect with. But I think it's important for me to also be aware of it so that it doesn't become like just a reflex uh, or something I do without really ever thinking. Like I just, I was thinking about it and most of my friends are like people who have garthed themselves into my life where they were like, I'm your friend now. I'm just informing you. And yes, Drew, you are one of those people. <laughs> I'm feeling called out in a positive way. Literally most of the friends that I have, like those are, it's those people. And so like, yes, maybe I should, maybe I should be a bit more open to connection and not just be like the Dean black cat girlfriend that I am. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Figuru. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Elle, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Sarah for the message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for links to our merch store and all of our socials. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Party on our wayward friends! I, I secretly love playing. This is a game my wife and I basically like don't I don't think she knows I play it with her. What we do is every like few nights we'll like sit in bed together and like show each other our saved TikToks. So like I have this weird habit where like I will not favorite a TikTok unless I'm like explicitly planning to show it to her. So like I'll use the save feature a lot for like things that I actually want to keep for myself to like look at later or go back to. Uh, and then like my favorite part of that is like, which ones do we both save for each other? Like where did our feeds overlap? Or like even like when like you know like she'll show me one and it's like oh I meant to save that for you but I didn't think it'd be funny enough for you and I realized you saved it because it was more for me than for you.